has been our verse uh, through this series, uh, and so we've been, uh, we've been working on uh, memorizing that because uh, I think it's good for us sometimes to uh, memorize a little scripture. Uh, so, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. So let's say this together, okay? You... Good. It is really good to hear you guys uh, talk that, to, to proclaim that as, as the truth. Uh, so today we're going to kind of wrap up this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, next Sunday we're going to talk about citizenship uh, on kind of the 4th of July weekend. Uh, and then through the rest of the summer we're going to jump into Ephesians and be working through uh, Ephesians, which is a great book about how to be the body of Christ uh, together. So this morning, though, I want to kind of start with this question. What do you think about when I say the last days? Just call it out loud, because I don't hear it well. What we're in right now. Good. Revelations. Heaven. Rapture. Coming. Tribulation. What? Synoptic Gospels. Ooh. Everybody know what the Synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke. <laughs> John's another. Okay, go. Others? Two preachers. Sorry, I can't hear it. What? <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Christ is coming back. Good. 144,000. All of those sorts of things. So, so there's all these ideas about the last days. It's kind of this giant category uh, that we have. Uh, and, and through the history of the church, the church has gone back and forth over the last 2,000 years about the particulars of that sort of thing. But one of the things I have noticed often about the, this topic of the last days uh, is that, that it creates a certain amount of anxiety in people because we don't really know exactly what it all means and how it's all there. Um, there's, there's an implication of shortness of time, and yet it's been 2,000 years and Christ hasn't come back. Uh, it gives us this idea that our days are, are numbered, um, and, and sometimes uh, people respond to this a couple of different ways. Uh, one of the ones that, that I remember growing up was this real drive to kind of try and figure out when Christ was going to come back. Even though Christ himself said, nobody knows but the Father, there was always been this kind of drive. Uh, and then it took, which it's not a bad impulse in and of itself, but then it took kind of an ugly turn uh, as, as some people tried to kind of scare people into the kingdom. How many of you have heard of the, the book or the movie Left Behind? Yeah, scared the bejeebers out of me when I was a young man, right? Because it was all about the rapture and you're going to get left behind and and the idea was kind of, uh, kind of try and scare people. And there's a whole genre and series of that, that kind of stuff. Um, so the interesting thing when you look at Scripture is it really doesn't come at it from kind of a scary sort of standpoint. Uh, in fact, the very first sermon that's preached after Pentecost involves the last days. Uh, and it's preached by, by um, Peter. And he really draws a beautiful picture of the last days. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, 16 through 18. Um, and this is a part of Acts chapter 2 we don't talk about a lot because it's actually the sermon. Uh, we talk about the beginning where the Holy Spirit comes and, and where there's, um, you know, tongues of fire and the wind and they come pouring out of there and they're preaching in different languages. That's cool. You know, at the end where they form the community and they're all sharing and 3,000 people get saved, we talk about that. Well, here's the sermon that led up to those 3,000 people. This is the beginning of it. So I want to kind of <clears throat> walk through it. Uh, let's read it together and then we'll walk through it. So, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, okay? 
So Peter is now quoting, he actually changes it a little bit, the, the book of Joel, the prophecy of Joel. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, okay, last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. That's Peter's description of the last days, okay? Uh, and so he's, what he's saying in this passage, kind of sum it up, is right at the beginning. He is saying uh, that, that you are in the last days. You are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy before your very eyes. And remember, they've just seen uh, all of these people that are speaking languages that can hear one another and the miracles and, and all that's going uh, into that sort of thing. And so he's saying, pay attention. God is on the move in these days. God is active in the world today. The Spirit has come. Spiritual stuff is happening, okay? And so um, he's saying we are entering into, this is the beginning of the, the last days, the time of the Holy Spirit. So let me say it again. We are entering into the last days, the time of the Holy Spirit. So remember, in the Old Testament, there was kind of the law, the time of the law. And then there was Jesus where God was with us physically, but, but he was limited to a, a physical body. He can only be so many places at once. And now we are in the last days where the Spirit has come and the Holy Spirit can be with all of us. Does that make sense? Look at me. Is that over there? So that's, that's kind of the idea. So I want to kind of walk down through some of the words in here. So the prophet Joel, so he's quoting someone else's prophecy in this case. Okay, the last days, which means we are in the last days today. The last days started on Pentecost. And the last days will conclude when Christ splits the eastern sky and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> no, 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 you weren't fast enough. Okay. <laughs> when the, Jesus comes back and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Amen. There we go. Good. Okay. So just wanted to make sure you're with me. Um, so the couple of things, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What do you think of when you think of prophesy? Speak what? Speak the word. Speak revelation. Yeah, that's actually kind of the two, the two functions. Uh, we tend to think about prophecy as speaking about the future far out there, like the book of Revelation or, or Ezekiel or some of those. That, however, was not the primary way that prophecy worked. The primary way that prophecy worked was speaking for God. So preaching in the, in the Pentecost era is a form of prophecy. It's like, thus saith the Lord. That's what, that's what prophecy is. So they're gonna, they're gonna, he's going to raise up the preachers is basically what it's saying, okay? Uh, your young men shall see visions. So visions are, are the particular, right? This is what God wants us to do in the specific, right? So God wants us to build a church in this place, or God wants us to plant a church in this place. That, that specific sort of drive that young people have. Have you all noticed, some of you who are my age, young people have more energy than you? <laughs> yes, that's why God calls them to go do that kind of stuff, because I'd be like, oh, man, you know? So, and your old men shall dream dreams. That sounds much less strenuous, doesn't it, you know? So, <laughs> lay in your bed and dream dreams. That's actually not talking about laying in your bed and dreaming a dream. It, this, dreaming the dream is kind of the big vision. It's kind of the idea of you call people to the, to the vision part of it, that you, you see that God is at move and that God is moving in this place, and you say, rise up, O church, and, and, and reach the world for him. And the young men see visions. We need to plant a church. That's how that works, okay? Uh, and then uh, the next one is, and my mate... Uh, and on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit to those, in those days, and they shall prophesy. Couple of three things here. 
the, the maidservants and the, um, the manservants and the maidservants, these were bond slaves. So this is the bottom of society. And so what Joel is saying and, and Peter is saying is that this gift of the Holy Spirit and the movement of God isn't just for the people that are important and smart and powerful. This is for everybody. Amen. That even the ones on the bottom, God, God is not impressed with our, our categories. Have you noticed that, you know? He's just like, yeah, I don't care about your categories. This is just it's one of the perks of being God. And he's saying here that, that everyone, the top and the bottom and everyone is going to be there. And I will pour out my spirit on them. That, that, to, in the first century, that, that bondservant that you think is just a worthless person and they can't ever amount to anything, and God is going to pour his spirit out on them, so you better be paying attention. Okay? And then, and they will prophesy. They will speak for God, and both men and women will uh, fulfill that role. So where I want to come back to now is this idea of pour out, uh, pour out of my spirit that Christ will pour his spirit out. This is the key to the last days, to the new age of the spirit of God that rules and reigns, that he is pouring his spirit out. That's all of the rest of this happens as a result of this. So the, the hallmark of the last days is God's spirit poured out. That's, that's the key. That's how you identify it, that it's, that it's there. And, and the word for poured out in the original language isn't, isn't just like, you know, pouring a little bit of something into a beaker. It's the idea of your three-year-old with the milk and the, and the glass, and they're going like this, and all of a sudden it goes, ah, and it goes everywhere, right? My kids were the only ones that did that. You're all looking at me like, ah, what are you talking about here, you know? It, it's the idea of, of it's gushing out, of it's, it, it's making a mess is actually contained in the meaning of the word. And it, and it carries the idea that we receive it greedily, that we're, we're thirsty for it, that there's something powerful uh, about how the spirit is poured out in us and, and moving this is not a squirt gun fight okay that's not what this is this is much more like the ice uh, ice book ice challenge whatever that thing was called the ice bucket challenge y'all remember the ice bucket challenge how many participated in the ice bucket challenge oh good that's very cool did you get that wet this dude got really wet but that's kind of, that's much more the angle of what poured out means. It's like, just, it goes everywhere, all over this idea. It's the idea of God is generous with his spirit, that you don't, you don't measure out the spirit. Well, you get a little bit of spirit here, and you get a little bit of spirit there, and you, oh, I don't know about you, you get a really little bit. That, that's not the way God works. God says, here, have some of the spirit. All over you. And you're all going, man, if God is like this, it's going to be wild in heaven, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I may have more, too much imagination, but... But that, that's really actually what's contained in, in the word. So let me say it to you this way. You will never be able to live into all that God has for you. You simply will not live that long. That God has more for you. That the Holy Spirit has so much he wants to do in you and, and, and through you. That the Spirit is alive and, and, and moving. In fact, Isaiah says it, again, prophecy here. Uh, for I will, pour out, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Everybody who's got kids say amen. amen. That is such a great promise. That even after I am gone, that God's blessing, the Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost will be poured out on my children and on my grandchildren and on my great-grandchildren for generations to come. And the image here is that, that, they, that we are thirsty for it. That it is the Holy Spirit that brings, brings life. And, and remember, this is a desert people. So when they talk about pour water on the thirsty land and streams in the dry ground, that was an agricultural reference. That, that when the water came to those places, you could grow life. You could grow crops that gave life. There's this wonderful image here of the life-giving God and Spirit that is upon us. Somebody say amen. amen. 
You don't got to like my preaching, but that is good truth uh, for, for all of us. Everything else that happens in Acts, everything else that happens in the church, the prophecy, the vision, the dreams, are the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Without the Holy Spirit, it doesn't happen. The whole thing is all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, the key to the last days is not dates and times. It's living in the power of the Spirit. Let me say that again. The key to the last days is not dates and times. It's, the living, it's living in the power of the Spirit of God. It makes us into what he would have us to be. So, uh, just kind of sum that up. The last days are the age of the Spirit that is here amongst us. The living God that directly leads people. No middleman. Yay! How many of you like middleman? Some of you probably make living as middleman. But, but there's no middleman with God anymore. You know, it, it originally it was Moses and, and the law, and no, they didn't want to go up at the mountain because they were afraid and, and all of that. So they had these middlemen, they had the law and all of that. And then there was Jesus where there wasn't a middleman, but he couldn't get to that many people. And now the Holy Spirit has come, and there's no middleman at all. God speaks directly to you. <laughs> Good. I think we got that there. Okay. And, and so uh, it, there's, there's, there's this directness. And in these last days, the emphasis is on the power of the Holy Spirit as expressed in the work of his church. Power of the Holy Spirit as expressed in the work of his church. And I don't mean the building or the denomination or this local body. I mean you. Every follower of Jesus is an expression of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, in this age of the Spirit where God speaks to you and God guides you and God guides us as a group, but we have this direct access. It's why we think prayer is important, you know? So I say people all the time, you know, if God's got a plan for his life, for your life, you might want to check it out and see what that is, you know? Just a thought. If the God of the universe has something for you, maybe you should see what it is. So let's dig into this pouring a little bit more, okay? Um, hit the right button here. Uh, pouring imagery points to God's anointing with his spirit. So I have been kind of talking about water, right? I the picture of the water sort of thing. Uh, but, but probably when the prophet Joel was issuing these words, was saying these words, and Peter actually, when he was thinking, he probably wasn't thinking about water. He was probably thinking about anointing oil. Because anointing oil represented the presence and blessing of God. Anointing oil represents uh, God's blessing. It represents God's healing. It represents God's shalom, peace in the world. It represents God's commissioning, and it represents God's empowering. If you go through Scripture and look where they use anointing oil, we have anointing oil here uh, because we will use this sometime in prayer when someone asks to be anointed. Uh, so, so when he's talking about pouring this out, it is as an anointing oil. So it's not just that you get the Spirit. It is that the Spirit and the anointing comes on your life in a new way, and you are changed. You're never the same again. There's something about the Spirit of God when you release yourself to His power that brings you up and makes you what you were intended to be from the very beginning, and His Spirit begins to work in you in all kinds of ways, commissioning and empowering you for the work of the kingdom. Commissioning, say commissioning and empowering. Yeah, commissioning and power for God's service. You, you are anointed. Do you remember David when he was chosen king? They, they anointed him with oil. He was commissioned and he was empowered to fulfill the God's mission for his life. And so God in the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So if I could really do this the way I really wanted to do, I'd make you all go by here and I'd pour oil on your head, right? And you'd all go home going, oh yeah, God in us, commissioned and empowered with that whole thing, you know. 
but the board said that wasn't a good idea, so okay, you know. Um, the early church did not accomplish all that they did because they suddenly became smarter, stronger, or more clever. They accomplished what they did because the Spirit of the living God was working in them, commissioning and empowering them for the work that God had for them. And I, I don't know how to say it any more clear than that. I worked on that sentence for a little bit. But that's what I, let me read it again. They, the early church did not accomplish what they did because the Spirit, uh, I'm sorry, the early church did not accomplish all that they did because they suddenly became smarter, stronger, or more clever. And that's the way in our humanness we tend to come at it, right? You know, I'm, I will figure out a better way kind of thing. They accomplished what they did because the Spirit of the living God was working through them. They were commissioned and they were empowered for the work of God. And that same Holy Spirit is here this morning. And that same Holy Spirit is working in you and working in me and, and working in us. It's why I'm so optimistic about the Church of Jesus Christ, even when it's not going very well, at least from where I can tell. Because it's the Spirit's work, not my work. It's God at work in us. They were chosen by God and empowered by the Spirit. Who can stop that? Amen? Nothing can stop that. If you are chosen by God for a task and empowered by his spirit, what's the devil going to do? Okay, he's lost already. Look at these words again. This is from Isaiah, and Luke uh, has them as well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Say upon me. I like that language, upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's our task. That's how God is working. God is upon you to do all of these things. So here's, here's those words. I love this. The spirit of the living God is upon you. Say upon you again. Upon you. Okay, look at your neighbor and say the spirit of the living God is upon you. Okay, now do the other side, whichever side you did before. <laughs> I always love it. It makes us a little nervous to say this stuff. There's a little giggling that goes on. Uh, with, with, with all of this. Get this, though. You have the Spirit of God upon you. Amen. Yes, he's with you. He's, he's there in the living. And, and look around at these people. They have the Spirit of the living God upon them, too. You are sitting next to somebody who has the Spirit of the living God upon you. Think about that. I mean, I, we all, and, and I, I, I probably owe you an apology because as a pastor and as a preacher, I'm a teacher-preacher, Right? So I spend a lot of time exegeting the word and figuring out the truth and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not quite so much a, woo, the spirit sort of thing. That's just not who I am. God didn't wire me up like that. But the truth is, that is alive in the scripture, that he is upon you. He is a, a, upon me. Like, I could probably blame him for some of my crazier stuff if I thought about it. For, oh, that was God upon me. I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on. So, so God's work is accomplished by God's spirit. And this is really, really important because we have a tendency to tell God what we can't do, right? Oh, Lord, I can't do that. I, 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 can't, I can't go out and witness for you because you made me an introvert. It's really your fault, you know? <laughs> I, I can't lead someone to Christ because I didn't go to seminary. You didn't open that door. It's, it's really your fault, Lord. That's usually when I get a phone call, right? Hey, Pastor Greg, you went to seminary. I got somebody here that needs to talk to you. You know, which is good. I, I like that. But I'm telling you, it's not me that accomplishes it. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And we have a tendency to say, I can't, I can't, I can't. And the Holy Spirit doesn't say, no, you're wrong, you can. The Holy Spirit says, you're right, but you were never going to be the one to do it anyway. I was going to do it in you. Does that make sense? It's not, you're right, you can't do it, but not the point. The 
point is the spirit accomplishes these things in us and i've seen this happen over and over and over again and the illustration i give because because i've had it happen quite a number of times and my preacher friends that i talk to they've all happened at it too of course you get up you preach in front of the congregation and you think wow okay i did my very very best through all that you get to the back people are greeting you and all of a sudden somebody comes up to you in tears and it's all over like this and you're like i hope that wasn't because of my bad preaching but but I, I, they, they say to you, Pastor, that was the best sermon I ever heard. You know, it was so good. And when you said, and then they'll give me a quote, that, that the Holy Spirit just came in that moment and I'm changing my life. And I go, thank you, thank you so much. The Lord bless you. And as they're going away, I'm going like, I never said that. I can't tell you how often that's happened. Or I, I, I preach this sermon multiple times before it gets here. And I'm like, I never said those words. In fact, I didn't even introduce that concept. What's that word? Accomplished by God's Spirit. And if you will let the Spirit have control, you will be amazed at what He can do in your life. Things that you just could never imagine in that. I think we've all turned Philippians 4.13 around. I can do a few things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. I can do all things through christ which strengthens me. so how many things don't fall in the category of all things <laughs> including that thing that the holy spirit is pressing you about that you're going i can't do that that falls in the all things category i can do all things through christ who strengthens me god isn't asking you to do it he's asking you to allow him do, to do it through you he's not asking you to do it he's not you let him work through you you take the first step, he'll do the rest in that. The old-time evangelists in the church, uh, when we had lots of altar calls, I grew up through all of that. I, I remember something they used to say that I've really found to be true. And one of the things they would say in an altar call, you know, and the music is playing, and you're supposed to come down and kneel at the altar and maybe get saved or sanctified or, what, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, and, and it wasn't going as well. And then somewhere in there they would say this. If you'll take the first step, God will complete it. And that is true. There was some, about, some of the theology I kind of worried about a little bit, but that, that was true. I have found that to be true over and over and over again in my life and in your life when you've come and shared stories, where if you take the first step, first step towards God, first step towards what he's calling you to do, all of a sudden God will come in and he will work in that and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. God is upon you. Say that. God is upon you. In fact, look at Zechariah. This is the word of the Lord to Zebrah. Zer I cannot say that word of trying. Saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power. That's your category. Be smarter, stronger, sharper, more clever. But by my spirit, says the Lord. God is saying, hold on there, partner. You're not going to accomplish this on your own. But the two of us together can do anything. Because it is the spirit of the living God that dwells on you, that's upon you, okay? So, here, here's my radical statement for all of this. The Holy Spirit didn't come to help out, he came to take over. Amen. Amen? The Holy Spirit didn't come to help out, give you a little advice, you know. If a man's drowning out there and you're going, hey, you know, practice this stroke, you're calling instructions at him. How helpful is that? That's not helpful. I used to be a lifeguard. They will drown if you do that. The Holy Spirit has come to take over. And you know when you save somebody who's drowning, you literally take over the swimming process. In fact, sometimes you have to subdue them in order to get them back. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I didn't come to help you out and give you a little advice here and there. He'll give you advice. But at the end of the day, he came to take over 
the work of God on earth. The Holy Spirit isn't meant to be a backseat driver. He's meant to be in the driver's seat. seat. Wind and fire, the presence of God, the, the, the cleansing work of God in our lives. Everything we do, every breath we take, is driven by the Holy Spirit of God, and he calls us to radical obedience. So here's your job. The Holy Spirit's job is to accomplish, but your job is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Say yes. yes. Oh, good, you got that one. Yeah. Say it again. Say yes. 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 And the rest you can leave up to God. Last week we talked about hearing the Spirit of God by surrendering to the Spirit, listening intentionally, and obedience. That's the whole thing right there. That we listen, we, we surrender, and, and we obey God. We take that first step when he tells us to stay, take that first step. And the longer you walk with God, the harder it gets. Well, not really. Some ways it gets easier, but some ways it gets harder. Because you've got to ask you to do bigger and bigger things, and there's more at risk. Sometimes God directs you away from things. Get this. Sometimes God says no. Just like good parents sometimes say no. Really? You guys never said no? Anyone want to say amen? So good parents sometimes say no, and God sometimes says no. Now, this sermon is for somebody today. I don't know who it is, but it's somebody. But I had to write almost two full sermons before I got to this one this week. So whoever you are, you've been making my life miserable this week. (laughs) I start my sermon preparation on Monday. I have a plan that goes before that, but I start to dig in on Monday. I dig into the text, and I get all that, and kind of work with it. And I I started on Monday uh, and and went into Tuesday, and by Tuesday I knew it wasn't working. There's just like, I could not make that work. And so I kind of hear the Spirit saying, okay, you know, that's not what I want you to do. Okay, pick another one section, it'll wrap it up, there's another idea. Get into that, I am working hard on that on all day Wednesday uh, and into Thursday. And Thursday is typically my polish day, and uh, sometime afternoon on Thursday the Holy Spirit really said quite clearly, this is not what I want you to preach. Right, because I say, Lord, why isn't this working? And he's like, because you're working on the wrong thing. Oh. And so on Thursday afternoon, everything changed up. This whole sermon has been done for this. And Friday morning, my notes are due, right? So I normally put into a sermon, you know, 15 to 20 hours, depending on, on what's going on. I've already put in like more than 20 hours on the first two, and the Lord is saying, start over, right? Can you imagine how joyful I was on Thursday afternoon? And I got to listening to Pastor Kramer's the song that we're going to close with in, in just a minute here. And, and it talked about the outpouring of the Spirit. And I had that moment, and this doesn't happen to me a lot, but I had that moment when the Holy Spirit says, that's what I want you to talk about. I want to pour my Spirit out on your congregation. I want to pour my Spirit out on you, you preacher. You're not that good, but you really need my help. I want to pour my spirit out on your people that are struggling, that need healing. I want to pour my spirit out on those that are thirsty for something more than simply religion. I want to pour my spirit out on your community. I want to bring them to myself. And that sermon flowed like, I get like five hours, it was all done. I was like, okay, I'm ready, go home now. It was just what the spirit was saying. And so I'm telling you, there's at least one person here this morning that this sermon is for you. The Holy Spirit wants to pour his spirit out on you but you're holding on to self. You're holding on to your way of doing it. You're insisting on driving the car. Would you this morning let the Spirit drive? Let me ask you this. Does the Spirit have you? In in theology, we recognize that when we become a follower of Jesus, we get the Spirit of God. He is upon us. But there's often a time where we're playing tug-of-war with the Spirit, and we get to a second place where we totally surrender to God. And I had a theology professor that used to say that that, that when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit. 
But when we surrender completely to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets us. And so that's my question to you this morning. Does the Holy Spirit have you? I know you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Are you ready to obey? Are you ready to allow the Spirit to flow through you in these days in obedience to what He would ask you to do? Let me ask you the question I ask at the end of all of my sermons. What does Jesus want me to do? What does Jesus want you to do this morning? And if our musicians could, could come, we're going to sing a great song about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. It's called Fresh Wind. Um, I, I love the old songs about wind. Because if our, Kramer, if you could come, if he's, I'm not sure where he's at back there. Um, wind and Spirit are the same word in both Greek and, and Hebrew. And so when we talk about the coming of the wind, we're talking about the coming of the Spirit that blows into our lives. And we don't understand it. One of the things Scripture talks about is you don't know where the wind's coming from and you don't know where the wind's going. That is the surrendered life to Christ. Because if you follow him, he's going to take you to places you're going to go, what are we doing here, Lord? You know, someone want to say amen there? You know? Okay, that's just the way it works. But the power of the Spirit upon us is what it's all about. And so this morning, as we, as we sing this song, I, I want to encourage you, especially that one of you, that you know this sermon is for you. Let the Spirit of God be poured out upon you. Let Him work through you. Let go of whatever you're holding on to. And let Him have control. And if you'd like to pray with someone down here, I'm going to be right down here. I would be happy to pray with you. You can kneel at the altar and, and pray, you know. But this is just so important. The greatest breakthrough in my life spiritually came when I let God have full control of everything. And I knew it was going to be a disaster because I was absolutely sure God was calling me to be a missionary to go and eat bugs in China. You know, I'm like, I don't want to eat bugs. And the Lord didn't do that to me, okay? So it might be the devil that's telling you if you surrender to God, everything's going to go awful. I've never known anyone that's lived in full surrender to God that regretted it, and you won't either. Let me pray. Father God, said it the best I know how, Lord. And I know that most of the people here, you have them. They have you and you have them. But Father, I, I know that this sermon was for that one that's really grappling with that. Whether they're going to live in total surrender, whether they're going to live in these last days through the power of the Spirit. And so I pray, Father, that you would speak to them and you would speak to each of us. Maybe some of us just need a new touch from the Spirit. But I pray that you would come in. You are here that you would blow through this place like you did on Pentecost, Father, and that you would fill us up with your presence and that each of us would surrender to you that we might confess that Jesus is Lord of our life. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.